You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We're going to be reading from Galatians 1. Uh, Please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading this from Galatians chapter 1, 10 through 24. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returns again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and the glorified God because of me. Thank you. You can have a seat. In his book, Christless Christianity, the author Michael Horton writes, what would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? Over a half century ago, Presbyterian minister Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was also broadcast nationwide, nationwide on CBS radio, Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia, that's where he was, uh, he was living there at the time, all of the bars would be closed, pornography vanished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. And the point is, You know what's more dangerous than a city with no churches? It's a city that is full of churches that do not preach the gospel. A city full of churches that do not preach the gospel of God, but instead preach the false gospel, the gospel of man. It's a city full of churches where people attend these churches on a weekly basis. They feel good about themselves. They might dress up. They feel like they're doing the right thing. They're on the right track. They're better than their neighbor, but it's all about legalism and moralism and there's no gospel the difference between a gospel preaching church and a non-gospel preaching church may look alike at the surface you may look at the two and you might find no differences but the differences are there and it's subtle but it's so subtle enough that it's a world of a difference Um, and that's why paul wrote galatians Right now we're going through a sermon series in Galatians, and what Galatians is about is this guy named Paul who is addressing 
the churches in Galatia, this is about 20 years after Jesus died and rose again, and he is calling them out for what he calls a different gospel that has been creeping into the church. And it's very subtle, but has made a world of a difference. Uh, we're going through the sermon series right now, and we like to go through books of the Bible like this because what it does is it forces us to preach what the Bible's saying as opposed to just preaching our own agendas. And so we're going through this book chunk by chunk. It's going to take us several months. Last week we started it off. And uh, to give you some background behind this book, if you're not familiar, so Paul wrote this book. He was a missionary, and he was traveling around uh, sharing the gospel with people, helping to start churches. He did that in uh, Galatia, which is a region in modern-day Turkey. Uh, during the Roman Empire at the time. He helped start some churches over there. He's preaching the good news, and uh, he left. And not long afterwards, he discovers that these people had also went to the regions of Galatia and started preaching a different gospel, something that's a little bit different, similar enough so that the churches didn't, you know, they didn't feel like they had to switch to a different religion, but it's different enough that he felt astonished and, and passionate enough to write this letter to correct them. And what was going on, we'll go through it in a a few weeks from now, but essentially these Jewish Christians had come up from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was sort of like the headquarters of Christianity right now. They had come up from Jerusalem and they were teaching some stuff that were conflicting with what Paul was teaching. And uh, there were even rumors going around that these Jewish Christians, what they had, what they were teaching was the original gospel, the OG gospel. And Paul's gospel was a corrupted gospel. And the reason why these rumors were going around was because uh, people, because Paul at the time, it seemed like he had sort of appeared on the scene out of nowhere. Uh, So just to give you some background, so Jesus, he had a three-year ministry, and during that time he had these 12 apostles, people who followed him around, and he had a bunch of people who are in the outer circles that weren't 12 apostles, but they would follow him around. And these people helped start the church. But when these people were starting the church, Paul wasn't around. At this time, Paul was actually anti-church. He was persecuting people. He was murdering people in the church. And then all of a sudden, people started hearing, oh, this random dude, Paul, he's teaching these things and he's calling himself an apostle. And so people are wondering, where did Paul come from? And they're wondering, we need to get back to the source and we need to make sure we're, 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 we're teaching the original gospel, not this corrupted Paul gospel who just appeared out of nowhere. All of a sudden, he's on one day, he's, you know, one day he's killing people, and the next day he's preaching the gospel. Who is this guy? Is he a spy or something? So that was, going, that was what was going on. And so uh, Paul wasn't one of Jesus' original gospels, and so people were questioning this guy, wondering if this guy was legit. Okay, so Paul, he is now passionately writing this letter in response to this crisis uh, where people are dividing up over whether Paul was a legitimate apostle or not. And he's sensing that they were no longer preaching the true gospel. So what he does, he, he writes a brief introduction. And then starting from verse uh, 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, he gives a defense. He gives a defense about who he is. He's telling his side of the story. He spends 29 verses doing this. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this where uh, someone is talking about you behind your back. And they're saying all, all these things that are messed up. They're just not true. They're gossiping and lies are spreading around. So that's what's going on with Paul, right? So he feels like I need to say something. I need to speak up to correct what's going on, to to set the record straight. So that's what he's doing. He's giving his own defense. He's telling his own story about how he became an apostle to clear up any rumors. And also he is uh, not just clearing his name. He's also pointing them to the true gospel. So that's sort of the setting behind Galatians and 
And you can see on the screen, so in, in 1, 10 to 24, which we're talking about today, he's talking about how he received the gospel straight from God. And then next week, 2, 1 to 10, we'll talk about how he collaborated or he, uh, he uh, corroborated uh, this gospel with the church leaders in Jerusalem. And then the week after that, we'll talk about how he actually rebuked Peter, one of the OG apostles. Um, and so that's some contentious stuff. We'll get there when we get there. Um, Throughout this book, we see him not just clearing his name, but he's continually contrasting what he calls the true gospel, the gospel of Christ, with false gospels. And he goes by different names. He says, uh, he calls this a different gospel. He says, this is a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. He says, this is a gospel contrary to the one you receive. He says, this is man's gospel. He calls it different things, but he, he's clear uh, in that there is this gospel that's out there that is fundamentally different than the gospel he's preaching. In fact, look how he begins the letter. This is Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. He writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so he clears it up from the beginning. I am an apostle, okay? And I want to be clear to you, I'm not an apostle because of some other person, not from men or through man, I'm preaching a gospel that is not from man. I'm preaching a gospel that's from God. And so he's contrasting man's gospel with God's gospel. And I think this is especially important today because I also believe that the gospel of man has permeated much of the modern church today. And so today my sermon is titled The Gospel of Man and the Gospel of God. And what I'm doing is I'm highlighting the differences between the gospel of man and the gospel of God. I'm going to show you how to pick apart these two. So, and, I'm, and, I, and I want to clarify, just to caveat, I'm not trying to be sexist, okay? When I say man, I'm using it in the traditional sense of the word where it used to be that the word man can represent people of both sexes. And so that's, that's what I'm doing, okay? So when it says, like when Jesus says man does not live on bread alone, okay? Or when Paul is saying man's gospel, he's not, they're not only talking about people with XY chromosomes, okay? Anyways, um, the three ways, okay, we're going to jump in. The three ways Paul contrasts the gospel of man with the gospel of God. There's three ways, and we're going to go through these one by one. Number one, in verse 10, the gospel of man seeks the approval of man. The gospel of God seeks the approval of God. And then he goes on to verse 11 and 17, and I think his point is the gospel of man depends on the wisdom of man, but the gospel of God depends on the wisdom of God. And lastly, verse 18 to 24 the gospel of man brings glory to man, but the gospel of God brings glory to God. We'll be going through these one by one. Here's number one. The first distinction between the gospel of man and the gospel of God is this. The gospel of man seeks the approval of man, but the gospel of God seeks the approval of God. Growing up, I went to church. I was relatively uh, good for a kid. Uh, I didn't do a whole lot of bad things. I, um, I never got into too much trouble. The worst that ever happened was... Um, you know, I would let my friend cheat on my, uh, my test. That was probably the worst thing I ever did, okay? And um, I was in seventh grade at the time, and I was a goody-two-shoes goody kid, and I did all the right things at the time. You know, I had, I don't know if you've been, you know, you had these church experiences where at the end of the sermons, the, the pastor would ask you to raise your hands, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, raise your hands if you want to accept Jesus into your heart. I did that dozens of times, okay? And every time I did it, I would go home, and I would do it again by myself at home just in case. You know, that was that kid. And uh, in seventh grade, um, I came across this verse, Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I don't know what happened, but something clicked in my heart that day. And I realized, I realized for the first time, I think, that I was a sinner through and through, and I was doing everything wrong. The reason why this verse hit me so powerfully, because up until that point in my life, my life goal was to seek the approval of man. That was my life goal. I wouldn't have verbalized it that way, but looking back, that was true. Everything I did was dedicated to getting people's approval. I would try to be funny. I would try to wear certain clothes, you know, that were relatively fashionable. You know, uh, I recently found out that Aeropostale, uh, you know, shut down. Anyways, so I was, I try to, I try to teach, you know, people guitar, you know, I'll try to do all these things. Okay. And I was trying to get people's approval. Right. Um, and I would uh, try to get grades, good, good grades at school. I'll try to do well in piano class to try to get my, my parents approval. And I would try to uh, play basketball by myself at the park. I used to, I must've seen like such a loner. I was playing basketball by myself in a park. Okay. And I would shoot like a hundred free throws and I would go home and write down how many I made. You know, that's what I would do. And, uh, and, but my goal was I would try to be really good at basketball because that's how I made friends. That's how I got people to like me. Everything I did was dedicated to seeking people's approval. And the scary thing was that from outside, from the outside, if someone were to look at my life, you probably wouldn't have been able to tell that was the case. And when I read that verse, I realized that I wasn't a servant of Christ. Right? It's a conditional statement. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I was realizing I was trying to please man every day. That was my life goal. And so I realized my priorities were wrong. My focus was wrong. In a sense, my life was wrong and I needed to change. And so that year, or the following year, I decided to be baptized. And in my baptism testimony, I actually read this verse, Galatians 1.10, as a testimony to the fact that I no longer want to seek the approval of man. I want to seek the approval of God. And I was one of these kids, I was so fired up about this verse. Uh, email was just like a new thing at the time. And I would sign my signature. You know, my name would be Larry Lynn, Galatians 110. That's what I wrote in my emails, right? And uh, I was that kid. Later in life, um, I learned uh, that when you're reading Bible verses, it's important to read Bible verses in its context. You know, a lot of times people don't read Bible verses in the context. And what they do is they, they mean all sorts of things that the Bible doesn't intend to say. And so... I, I tried doing that with Galatians 1.10, and I realized it's actually saying something a little bit different than what I actually initially thought. And in my, in my application was still appropriate, I would say. It's still appropriate to not seek the approval of man and to seek the approval of God and all that. In the original context, it's actually a little bit different, and so it's a little bit humorous to me that I actually based so much of my life, my testimony, my email writing, whatever, on this verse. But I'm going to back it up to verse 8 and 9 just to give you a big picture of what's going on. This is starting from verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And he repeats himself in case you don't get it. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. And then he goes to verse 10, talking about the approval of man and the approval of God. And so I think what the point is, he's not necessarily talking about seeking approval from people in general, what he's doing, he's talking about seeking approval from false gospel preachers. Seeking approval from false gospel preachers. This whole chapter, what he's doing is he's distinguishing himself from people who are preaching the false gospel. And he's saying, if someone preaches another gospel to you, 
a different gospel to you, a gospel that's contrary to the one that we preach to you, even if that person is another apostle or an angel, don't listen, right? Don't seek that person's approval. Don't entertain that teaching because I think, at the, because I think that's the root issue that the Galatian church, the churches in Galatia, what they were doing was they received Paul's gospel and they were believing it. And they're like, oh, here are these other people. You know, here are these big wigs coming up from Jerusalem and they're teaching this other gospel. And so I want these people's approval too. So I will listen to their gospel and I will adopt their gospel. That's, I think that's the issue. And the gospel of man, this is what the gospel of man does, it seeks the approval of man. And um, how does this play out today practically? I remember when I was a kid, you know, in Sunday school, uh, going to church growing up, uh, I would seek the approval of my Sunday school teachers. Right? I would go to church, and one of my goals going to church was to seek the approval of my Sunday school teachers. I would be interested in accepting Jesus Christ in my heart, you know, over and over again, you know, for their approval. I would raise my hand uh, whenever they would ask questions because I wanted to be all that. I, wanted to, I didn't realize that being a Pharisee was bad yet, you know, but that was, I was trying to be a Pharisee. And, uh, and as I got older, um, I still had the same tendency. Maybe you have these tendencies too. And I think it's, just, it's not that we stop seeking people's approval when we get older. What happens is we get better at hiding it. We get better at hiding it. You know, many of us, we, uh, we grow up in church and we do very similar things. Um, we are afraid, for example, we're afraid of expressing our fear or revealing our fears. We're afraid of revealing our insecurity. Why? because we want the approval of our Christian brothers and sisters. We don't want to give off the vibe that we are struggling, that we are doubting, that we're not doing well. We want for people to think that we're more or less put together. Um, we want for our pastors to say, man, I'm, you're doing an awesome job. You're really good at leading that group or leading worship or serving. Or I'm really thankful for you. We want for people to look up to us. We want for people who need to reach out to us. We want to be that person. And I think a lot of the reason why is because we want to seek the approval of other people. And so what happens uh, a lot of times in these churches is you have a culture where people are constantly seeking one another's approval. People are constantly comparing themselves to one another. People are constantly showing off to one another. And it's no longer a church that preaches the gospel. It's a church that is full of the gospel of man. Well, here's another way that happens. A church that preaches the gospel of man is constantly trying to provide services to the clientele. They're not thinking about what does God want for our church. They're thinking, what do people want for our church? So they're seeking the approval of other people. Right? They're trying to make their message palatable to the congregation, to the target demographics. They're trying to avoid topics maybe that will be overly uh, controversial. Um, and they try to focus a lot of the time and energies on amenities, on making people feel comfortable, and they cater toward this consumeristic culture. Regardless, what all these churches have in common is that their primary focus is not on God, but on people. They're trying to seek the approval of man. But our goal as Christians is not to please other people. Our goal as Christians is to please God. So that's number one, the gospel of man seeks the approval of man. The gospel of God seeks the approval of God. Number two, the second distinction, the gospel of man depends on the wisdom of man. The gospel of God depends on the wisdom of God. I'm going to read what Paul says, starting from verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, right? 
He emphasized that it's not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is his point, right? The gospel that I am teaching, no man revealed it to me, no man taught it to me. I did not trust in other people's wisdom. What I did was I trusted in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave me this gospel. He's going in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God, violently tried to destroy it. He's talking about how he, he was doing all these things in Judaism. He was advancing. And his point is, before I met Jesus, I was persecuting the church. I was, I was in my Judaism world, I had it made. I was a smart guy. I was a popular guy. I was well-respected. And then what happened in verse 15 through 17, he talks about his conversion experience. He talked about how God called him by grace. And, and his point is, in verse 17, nor uh, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. And you might be wondering, what, is the, what in the world is he doing going into Arabia? He might have certain connotations about Arabia being the desert and all. And that might be, that's actually somewhat accurate. Um, most scholars think he actually took a little bit of like this a monk experience. I mean, he's not living, living totally by himself, but he intentionally chose to be isolated for a season after his conversion experience. In verse 16, it's kind of interesting. He said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. This word anyone in the original Greek is literally flesh and blood. So he's saying, I did not consult with any flesh and blood. I didn't consult a single earthly human being. I didn't talk to any of the, of the big wig uh, uh, Jerusalem apostles, I went to nobody in the middle of nowhere. Why? I think it's because he wanted to spend time with God. And he realized that the gospel of God was not dependent on the wisdom of man, but on the wisdom of God. The gospel of man is one that can be taught by men and women. It's people teaching one another things. But the gospel of God is not one that can be just taught at an earthly level. Of course, you can try to teach about it. You can try to talk about it. But the only way you truly learn is by experiencing God yourself. In the Christian gospel, that's really the only way you experience, that's really the only way you know the gospel is by experiencing God himself. You can't know the gospel just by sitting in a sermon, uh, in a Sunday service, by sitting in a Sunday school class. There are people who do that their whole lives and they never, they never know the gospel. You don't grow spiritually by learning a bunch of things from smart people, though you can a little bit. You grow spiritually primarily by spending time with God. And it's a sad thing because so many churches today are filled with people who know a lot of things about God, but don't know a single thing about who God is. All they know is information and facts. They don't know God. They just know things about God. And they spend so much time in the realm of the wisdom of man. They read books, they listen to sermons, they listen to podcasts, they listen to Christian music, do all these things that can spout out all of this theology, but they don't experience God. They don't know God straight from the source. So that's number two. As Christians, our gospel depends on the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of men. Number three, the gospel of man brings glory to man, the gospel of God brings glory to God. I'm going to read from verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. 
And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Verse 22, and that was still unknown in people to, sorry, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. In today's world, uh, whenever we hear of celebrities becoming Christians, there's all this buzz about it, right? We say, oh, so-and-so, I'm not going to say any names. Maybe you can think of some names. But we say, so-and-so became a Christian. Isn't that awesome? This person became a Christian. He can make such a great difference for the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of excitement and praise and commentary. And, and, and uh, when we immediately, these people, they, they get lumped up with the who's who of the Christian world. And, and um, it's amazing. And it's not necessarily bad. I'm not necessarily, necessarily blaming those celebrities. I think it says more about our culture than about those individuals. But notice the difference in Paul. When Paul became a Christian... For three years, he didn't rub shoulders with anybody who was important in the Christian world. For three years. He was doing his isolated monk business. He was just, you know, spending time with God, learning the gospel. He kept a low profile. And he, he, he's defending his, what he did. He's like, when I, after three years, I met this guy Cephas, Peter. Cephas is Peter, okay? And, and, and I only spent 15 days with this guy. I didn't, it wasn't like this intense mentorship this intense time of uh, discipleship. And check out verse 22. He says, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The churches of Judea, that's where the headquarters were. That's where Jerusalem was, right? And he's saying, I didn't spend almost any time here. I wasn't rubbing shoulders with the famous people of the Christian world. You know, I, I didn't capitalize on this mass conversion. I mean, this, the, this, uh, this road to Damascus conversion that I had. I was just trying to spend time with God. And his conversion was big news. Verse 23 says, they, they only were hearing it said, he who used to pers- uh, persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And so people knew this guy existed, right? He was this mass murderer who got his life flipped upside down. So word got around, but he intentionally kept it low profile. You know, he didn't want to seek glory for himself. He didn't want the attention because he wanted God to have the attention. And that's why he ends the section in verse 24 saying, and they glorified God because of me. That was his goal. He didn't want glory for himself. He wanted God to have the glory. And that's the sign that distinguishes the gospel of man and the gospel of God. The gospel of man seeks to bring glory to man. Those who believe the gospel of man are looking for ways to exalt themselves, to magnify themselves, to glorify themselves. But those who hold to the gospel of God say, not to us, but to your name, be the glory. So those are the three major distinctions I want to draw from this passage that distinguish the gospel of man from the gospel of God. The gospel of man seeks man's approval, depends on man's wisdom, brings glory to man. The gospel of God seeks God's approval, depends on God's wisdom, and brings glory to God. And I want to encourage you to ask yourself, how might you be replacing the gospel of God with the gospel of man? How might you be replacing the gospel of God with the gospel of man. And it's so subtle. You know, we talk about these big ideas, but it's so subtle, and we all do it at times. We all at times choose to subtly boot Jesus off of the throne of our hearts and to nudge ourselves on. And it's especially true for those who've been doing this Christian thing for a while. When you're a new Christian, you know, things seem kind of black and white, and it's pretty clear what's right or what's wrong. But over time, it gets a lot more blurred. It gets a lot more gray. Maybe you're realizing just how much you want man's approval. 
You're realizing that a lot of the even Christian things that you do, you actually do not for God, but for other people. Maybe you serve on a serving ministry to get people's approval. Maybe you put money in the offering box to get people's approval. Maybe you're attending church in the first place to get people's approval because you know if you stop going to church, then people will start asking questions, start looking at you funny, whatever. For others of you, maybe you're realizing just how much you depend on man's wisdom. Maybe you actually don't have an intimate relationship with God, but instead what you have is a bunch of knowledge. All you do is read words, you hear words, and you talk about words, and you don't know the God behind those words. You know, it's like, you know, on the back of your hand, the ins and outs of the biological heart, all the ventricles and atriums and the, I don't know, all the parts. But you don't have a heartbeat. Finally, for others of you, maybe you're realizing just how much you glorify yourself. Church has become a place where, you know, you can get some attention, get people to admire you, to look at you, to magnify you. It's a place where you, to be honest, it's almost like a little talent show for yourself. If you show any of these symptoms, it may be a sign that you have subtly embraced the gospel of man. You've embraced this false gospel where you've taken the work of Jesus on the cross and you made it about yourself. And so what do we do? We turn from that gospel and instead we turn to the gospel of Christ. You see, the gospel of Christ changes everything. It changes everything. The gospel is that Jesus, who had all of God's approval, he had all of God's wisdom, he had all of God's glory, Jesus relinquished it all. He surrendered it all to die on the cross. That's the gospel. And when we allow that gospel to permeate our hearts, then we have no reason to cling on to man's approval. No reason to cling on to man's wisdom. No reason to cling on to man's glory. Because we recognize Jesus had it all and he gave it all up for us to give us access to God's approval, to God's wisdom, and to God's glory. And when you realize that you have access to God himself, why would you even seek the approval of man anymore? Why would you lust after the wisdom of man anymore? Why would you try so hard to get the glory of man anymore? You have all you need. When you realize that, that's when your heart starts to beat. That's when you come alive. Whether you're a Christian or not, know this. It doesn't matter what people think of you. What matters is what God thinks of you. And because of the gospel, God only thinks pleasure and delight when he thinks of you because of what Jesus did on the cross. So you are free to give up what people think of you and to cling to what God thinks of you. And know this. It doesn't matter how much you know about God. What matters is that you know God. And because of our sin, we were all prevented from knowing God. But because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, he ensured us full knowledge of God, full union, full relationship with God. 
and theology and philosophy and psychology and all these things, they're great and all, but at the end of the day, what matters is not how smart you think you are. We pale in comparison with the standard God has set before us. What matters is our relationship with God, and Jesus has guaranteed that for you. And thirdly, it doesn't matter how great you think you are. What matters is how great God is. And as Christians, or as non-Christians, people all alike, all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you think you are better than the person on your left or your right, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people on the news, people of the other political party. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we all fall short. But because Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done, and he surrendered his life, he ensured that we now experience the glory of God. And we no longer need to seek the glory of man. We'll be moving into a time of communion in a moment. And during communion, we remember the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus died to save sinners. But he didn't just die to save you from your sin. He died to save you from a certain way of living. A certain way of living. He didn't die just so that you can believe a few things, know a few things, and enter into the Christian life. He died so that you can experience the fullest of the Christian life. And this is a life where you're not defined by the approval of man, the wisdom of man, the glory of man. You're defined by the fact that through Jesus, God has given you his everything. And that's all you need. And that ensures you freedom and joy and life everlasting. So when you're ready, if you have chosen to place Jesus on the throne of your life, if you have chosen to accept Jesus' sacrifice for you, whether you did it decades ago, whether you want to do it today for the first time, I encourage you to line up on either side of the aisle, take the bread representing Jesus' body broken for you, dip it in the cup representing Jesus' blood shed, from, shed for you, and eat it right there. And think about the cross. The cross has the power not only to save us from our sins, but to save us from any man-centered gospel we might come up with. The gospel prevents us from clinging on to any shadow of ourselves. Because when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt and all my pride. Please stand with me as we pray. Father, we need you. We need the gospel every day. We need the gospel, we need it on day one, and we need it today. The pure, unadulterated, uncorrupted gospel. The gospel that is devoid of ourselves. The gospel that has you on the throne. The gospel that gives you the glory. That's the gospel we need because that is the true way we experience salvation and freedom and joy. For you say... Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And God, so many of us, we spend so much of our lives adding all of these things to ourselves outside of your kingdom. We lift ourselves up. We do it before we are saved. And even after we are saved, we enter the church. We try to manipulate situations. We manipulate relationships. We manipulate Christian activities to lift ourselves up, to give ourselves glory. 
And we're just looking for people to say good job and well done. And we forget the fact that the, our, our biggest problem is the chasm between you and us. But Jesus bridged that for us. And because of that, you say, you are my beloved son or daughter. And you, I am well pleased. And that's all that matters. Forgive us for turning church into this consumeristic talent show. May you open up our eyes to see Jesus, the one who surrendered it all, who died to give us life. May his gospel outshine any other gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.